Okay, why don't you guys stand there for reading of God's Word. This is Second uh, Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as your people ask that you would do that for us, that you would strengthen our hearts, that we could be fully committed to you, that we would be people who live and walk in your strength as our great and glorious and good God. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, Last week, my brother comes up and he said he liked the message last week, and he said it was short, wasn't it? And it was actually kind of longer. And so this week is about the same, so it may be whatever. We're just going to go with it. Uh, we are looking at the book of Jonah. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about these seven woes that Jesus gave uh, the Pharisees, religious people of the day. And what these woes were is they were these dire warnings because what happened is the Pharisees' religion had overtaken their relationship with God. And so they were so religious that they had actually walked away from God. And one of the woes he gives them is this thing about they decorate the tombs of the prophets and say, we wouldn't have done those things and killed the prophets. We would have honored the prophets. And Jesus says, no, you guys are trying to kill me. You're doing the same thing. And so we looked at what a prophet was. And I briefly mentioned that in the Old Testament, Jonah is the only prophet that God picked and sent to a nation other than Israel. So I thought it'd be really interesting to look at it. Uh, many commentators see the book of Jonah. They see many themes in there. Uh, they see the theme of repentance. Jonah is sent to this city of Nineveh, and the Ninevites actually repent. So they say, oh, no, it's a book of repentance. Other people look at it, and they say, well, no, Jonah's always running from God. So they see the book about uh, lack of obedience. But I like to see it actually about the sovereignty of God. Uh, Mike Gunn, uh, quoting a guy named Francis Thompson, calls God the hound of heaven. That God is like a dog with a bone when he gets a hold of us and he just and he runs us down because God's heart is for people. God's heart is for nations and, and tribes and all, you know, every person on the earth. That's who God is for. And so you have this city, the great city of Nineveh. And even though none of them follow God, you know, why wouldn't God be considered about consumed with love for that city? Because it's full of people. And like in America today. Uh, they say by the year 2010, 85% of all people who live in America will actually live in cities. And that's huge. And so when we plant a church like Element, we plant in the city because it's where people are, right? We're not out preaching to the goats and the sheep, hopefully. So this is, this is jo- Jonah's story, okay? He's called to a people that he would rather see dead than converted. He hates the Ninevites, the Ninevites hate him, so he wants to see them dead. And God says, no, go talk love and grace and forgiveness to them. So Jonah goes, okay, I'm going to run. And so he runs the other direction. God pursues him like a parent pursues a child. When the parent says, no, you're going to get a spanking, the child says, ah. And so God pursues, and you get that child, and you bring it back, and you discipline them and train them into how they're supposed to be. Jonah runs to a city called Joppa, hops on a ship. That's uh, The ship is run by non-Israelites. They're non-believers, non-Christians in our vernacular. And as they're running, God sends a storm against this ship. The ship is buffeted and tossed all over the ocean. And eventually, these sailors are like, what do we do? And Jonah says, if you want this st- storm to end, you've got to throw me over the side of the ship which actually uh, many commentators think that at that point Jonah was trying to commit suicide because he thought God wanted him dead because he ran from him. So what they do is they take Jonah, they throw him over the side of the ship, a big fish, gulp, swallows Jonah, the sailors turn to God, they make vows, they sacrifice to him, and they start following this God of Israel. Jonah in the meantime, like I said, gets swallowed by this big fish, great turn of events for fish the world over because 
fish eats a person rather than a person eating a fish. <laughs> you guys are just like the first service today. <laughs> they're, like, they're all, what? <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, and this shows that, you know, there's those who run, then there's God's sovereignty. Jonah is like many believers, many Christians. They grow up in Christians' homes, whether they're a good Christian home or a bad Christian home. They're forced to go to church. They like going to church. And one day, something happens. We move away from God, and we run, and they're hounded by God. God chases them down. There are other people in the story. They're the sailors. They have their own pseudo-God. They make God in their own image and, and what they want. And God sends Jonah, even in his disobedience and running, to these sailors. And these sailors then come to the saving knowledge of who God is. And you got the Ninevites who are still running, who sit behind their walls in their great city, and Jonah goes there eventually to tell them. And you see that God gives Jonah and us two choices. We go where he says, or you do it your own way, but he still gets his purpose done. It's just more comical and takes a little bit longer. God still works through disobedience. Even when we run, God is still going to do what he's going to do. You just may be miserable in the process. See, in, in this whole thing, what happens is the sailors get saved. The sailors come to know this God of Israel. Uh, the Ninevites in chapter 3, they get saved. They come to know this God of Israel. And there's a third person who gets saved in the story, and that's Jonah, the prophet of God. He gets converted. Well, yeah, he's the chosen race, but race does not equal new birth. Okay, so you have this conversion. Conversion is more than a prayer. It's more than an event. It's about your life. Every day we are converted, the process of God in our life. There are three big theological words. I'll give them to you, and you'll probably forget them next week, but that's okay. Salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Okay? Salvation, we come, we believe. Sanctification is this idea of a daily process that God walks us through in our life. We are, we are perfect in his eyes, but we are daily being made more holy. Then glorification, we die. God resurrects us, changes into this glorified body. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. God, in this time where we're at, deals with things in his own timing and in his own way. Um, it's like this. Uh, I was talking to a lady just this morning about this, and she said that uh, she knows this person just became a believer like a month ago, and they're really struggling with drug addiction. And they got through this area, and it's been 16 days since they've touched drugs. They're on crystal meth. And so this guy is like, I'm doing really good. I, you know, I've been off drugs 16 days. You know, and, that, and that's like a great thing. God is working through that in this person's life. And eventually we come to realize that drugs and issues in our life, they're just symptoms. And that God wants us, his goal for us is to reflect him in our lives and everything we do. And that's a process. And we run and God has to pursue us. It gets kind of messy. So that's my intro. I know it. You're like, holy crap, this message is going to be forever. Yes, you're right. All right. Jonah chapter 2. Open there. This is where we go. Verse 1. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. Now, we talked about this last week. Okay, the fish. If I say the fish, everybody thinks about what? Right, the whale, the fish. Oh, I'm thinking about the fish. People say, well, is it allegory? Is it real? Is it metaphor? If you get stuck here, you're not going to hear anything else I have to say. And remember, as much as we want to question the fish, Jesus said the fish happened. Uh, Jesus actually goes on to say that if... You can't believe that God could put Jonah in a fish for three days and bring him out, that you will never be able to believe that God would come in the flesh, that he would die, be buried, and be raised again three days later. He said you're not going to be able to believe that, which is actually borne out today. There's this uh, really liberal group of guys. They're called the Jesus Seminar. And so they look at Jonah, and they say, oh, no, no, well, Jonah, that's just allegory. And then you look a little farther, and they go, oh, well, Jesus. Well, Jesus' resurrection, that's metaphorical, too. It means you just rise spiritually. 
They don't believe one. They can't believe the other. See, they, they discount all of these miracles, and yet our God is a God who does miracles. If I trust Jesus, I trust what he's talking about. This is like a little bit of humanism where you're just kind of being human. You know, people say, obviously, it can't be real because to my human senses, it doesn't happen. It's miracles aren't natural. Right? From the book of Duh, you say, Duh, you know, that's exactly correct. Miracles aren't natural. They are supernatural. And so we, as believers, say if there is a God, he can do miracles. A humanistic thinking says, well, there's not a God, but if there is, he can't really be in control because only what I see, touch, uh, touch, taste, only those things are real. And so if there is a God, he gets created to look a lot like you and I. He doesn't have a lot of power. The church has even historically come along behind us and tried to defend Jonah humanistically. They say, in 1851, true story, okay, this is a true story, there was a whaling ship, ironically, off the coast of Wales, which I think is funny. Uh, They're going after these whales. They lose two sailors over to the side. One dies, the other one gets swallowed by a whale. Three days later, they're out fishing. They catch a whale, they bring him up on, they cut him open, and there's their guy. Inside the whale. And stinks really bad, bleached white by stomach acids. And he's going, thank God you found me. It was really bad in there. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is a good day for, for me. And so they look at it and they say, you know, well, see, it happens today. It must have happened then too. And we cut God completely out of this picture. See, when we approach the Bible by taking the miraculous out, then we don't need the miraculous God. And God no longer becomes in control, only nature. I mean, the biggest miracle in the story is not the fish. It is that 100,000 bloodthirsty, vile Ninevites turned to the God of Israel. I mean, it's easier to believe a guy got swallowed by a whale. He hates me. That's just how it works. (laughs) It's easier to believe that a guy got swallowed by a whale than a Jew walks into a country where people hate him and don't believe in his God. And get converted. Imagine a Jew walking in the middle of uh, Muslim Palestine today, or Iraq, or Afghanistan, and saying, follow the God of Israel. What's going to happen? He's not going to live very long, right? And that's what Jonah is called to do. You know, go th- and these people actually turn, and they follow this God that he calls them to. It's amazing. That is a miracle. And so you must approach the story from a standpoint of this ancient, rich, deep heritage of a God who is sovereign and in control. Not not miracles like today, like, oh, the Giants came back from a nine-run deficit. It's a miracle. You know, it's like, no, they just decided to finally hit the ball. You know, God does miracles beyond what is natural. So this is where we left. Uh, Jonah is arrogant. He's complacent. He's tossed into the stormy sea. God had used Jonah's disobedience for his glory, the conversion of all these sailors on this ship as he tries to flee from the presence of God. And what's really interesting is Jonah had no concern for those sailors' souls. Uh, But God did. And so God uses him and is running for that purpose. And so now Jonah finds himself in turmoil. He is in the belly of something as the result of all of his choices. He does what we all do best. Times of our distress, we cry out to whatever our gods are and yell for help. I mean, Jonah does this. In chapter 2, it says, In my distress, I call to the Lord. Well, right there, we all, this is how we pray all the time. Uh, some of you guys may be in college, and you didn't study for your final, right? And you're like, Dear God, my final is in one hour. Supernatural. Let me flip through this book, remember everything in it, so when I take my, I, I pass and I promise I will read every book again. I promise. Or you're driving somewhere, kind of like a nut. Cop pulls in behind you. Dear God, I promise I will never drive like an idiot again. Just please let me get pulled over, right? You're, you're, uh, you're at work and you're borrowing, stealing stuff. 
and, or sticking your butt on the coffee machine and making copies to hand all your friends. And all of a sudden, your boss calls you into his office and says, I need to talk to you. Dear God, I will never stick my rear end on the coffee machine again. Please don't let me get fired. Or you get a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you guys are, you know, screwing around. And you're like, oh, she might be pregnant. Dear God, please don't let her be pregnant. I will move to the mountains of Siberia, and I will never touch a woman again. Please. And that's how we pray. We pray like this. I, God, help me. When in truth, God's been protecting us every single day. God does so many good things that we don't even notice. We need to turn around and just look at all the good things that we have and say, God, thank you. I mean, really, the good in our lives, God. The bad, that's us. And so the bulk of chapter 2 is this prayer of Jonah while inside the great fish. Much of Jonah's prayer is taken from the book of Psalms, which shows he knows the Old Testament scriptures, and he can use these during times of crisis. So chapter, verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah's like, crap, I'm screwed. God, help me, I'm in this fish. I mean, in America, we don't pray like the rest of the world. We are completely different. If I'm cold at home, I turn on the heater. If I'm hot in my car, I turn on the air conditioner. If I run out of milk, I go to the store, I buy some more milk. We lose this whole idea of the providence of God. We actually live a lot like the Ninevites, behind our walls, thinking we're safe. Jonah, kind of the same thing. He's in Israel, thinking he's safe. I'm great, I'm wonderful, I'm a people of God. And yet God destroys his world to bring him to a place where he's useful. I mean, sometimes we think in the midst of our calamity that God doesn't answer us. We're distressed or in pain. Why isn't God hearing me? Why isn't God hearing the things that I'm calling out to Him with? I'm going to give you a little detour. I don't normally do this, but just follow with me. We'll pull it all together at the end. It'll be great. Um, Backpacker Magazine, about eight years ago, did this story about this guy. He's, He's a pastor. His name is Mike Turner. And Mike Turner wanted a little bit of clarity in his life where God wanted him to take the church that, that he was in. And so he leaves his family at home, takes a seven-day hike with just him and his dog. Uh, on the third day, it's Sunday morning, uh, he's out, and he slips in this rock slide, goes down, and he gets trapped. His legs get trapped behind this boulder. For ten days, he's trapped. He is 30 feet from the lake, out of water. He lasts ten days, and he dies out there. And while he's doing this, he actually keeps a journal. And it's completely heart-wrenching. I'm going to read you some, some things out of his journal. After a couple days, he writes this. I'm concerned first. I'm concerned about first losing my legs, second running out of snow to melt for water and fuel, third hypothermia. My biggest concern is water. I have only two quarts left. The irony is that the lake is only 30 feet away. I am drinking one quart a day, saving a quart for tomorrow. I am also saving my urine. I wonder how it will taste with crystal light. So good spirits, you're trapped a couple days. He starts praying for another hiker. Uh, About five days goes by. He starts to get very, very upset. And this is what he writes. God is with me, but I am angry with him. Why this terrible injustice? Or is it the product of pride? The sense of wrestling against God or the angel of God is distressing. What can I do against God? I don't want to be fighting against God's will. How am I failing him? Or what does he need me to teach? What is the purpose of this ordeal? Will I ever know or continue to be puzzled, angered, and feel quite abandoned by the one I serve? Now, this kind of looks a lot like Job. In the Old Testament, there's this guy, his name's Job, and he loses his family, his livelihood, and his health. And at one point, he sits down with his friends, and in Job uh, thirteen fifteen, he says about God, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Is all these things falling apart in his life. And he says, though God still slays me, I will trust him because I think he knows what he's doing. Mike Turner goes on, he writes this, Last evening I was getting my bedding set around my feet. My bedding can't get down there normally. When I noticed something like a cast on the front of my leg, it was my leg without feeling. 
I felt like I had cried out to God who doesn't seem... No, uh, I felt like I had to get it out and began working from 9 p.m. to midnight, slowly levering the rock. Now it's tighter. I cried out and cried out to God who doesn't seem to care about my suffering, struggling, and pain and the loss of my left leg. I begged and prayed for some help in moving the rock, but none seemed to come. In the very last day, this is the last entry in his journal, he knows that God's the only one that can offer hope. And he writes this, Fill me with peace, Lord. May the conditions not deny my love for you. I am ready to die, though missing my family, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I will trust in God, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. The same words as Job. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He writes, God loves, and there's some unreadable words right there, and it says, love, Dad. It's a non-Christian magazine. Now, a year later, to the day, uh, his family goes up to this place, and, and they go to honor him. And the magazine writes this. They hiked the same torturous trail. Diane carried her husband's ashes on her back. In a private ceremony deep in the heart of the Wind River Range, Mike Turner's ashes were given to the winds over Island Lake, the spot that had filled his soul with its amazing beauty. That night, while walking alone on the lake's edge, Diane Turner looked down to notice millions of stars reflected on the still water, as if heaven were glancing at itself in a mirror. It was perfect, she remembers, the beauty of God's heaven reflecting in the beauty of God's wilderness. It was the kind of moment Mike Turner would have loved. Uh, if you want to read the whole article, it's about seven pages. This is the link. That's really long. Uh, if, you, if you get our podcast, uh, it'll actually be attached to the podcast in a PDF form so you can actually go and read the whole story. But there's something in us when we hear this and we think, well, where was God? And actually, some responses to the magazine were like that. This is why I don't believe in this God, because if God is really there, he could have saved my, He could just move the rock or brought somebody around the corner to see him there and help him out. Why didn't God do that? But if we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, then we trust what happens. Because we believe that God is a God who does right, even when we don't understand. Even when we sometimes will think, well, that can't be right. If you look at this in, in terms of eternity, Mike Turner is actually in a better place. But we look things through this human lens. And if we are understanding versus God's understanding. We are myopic, where, where we are nearsighted. And yet God sees everything. Jonah is the same way. He turns to God in the belly of this fish, like Mike Turner's behind this rock. Much of this story parallels many of the things that we go through in our own lives with our God. We run from God. We find ourselves in a chaotic situation, calling out to Him for relief. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. We are commanded by God to trust Him and His Word and not ourselves. Because as fallen people, we always come to the place where we trust ourselves. We have self-reliance. It's all about me. But we don't have this view of eternity that sees everything that is going on. We are not all-knowing. We are not all-powerful. And God has to take Jonah to this point in his life in the belly of this fish so that he can be useful. This is the only way God can change Jonah to do what he needs to do. Behind a boulder, in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a whale... Or big fish. And so examining Jonah's prayer reminds us of all these attitudes that bring us into relationship with God. Uh, verse 3, he says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. That is actually a prayer of thankfulness before God. This is before God ever delivers him out of the fish. 
The Hebrew prayers always contain this thanksgiving as a normal part of the rest of their prayers, that, that God is a good God who made everything, so everything is good, and He is a God who hears even in the midst of our turmoil. And Jonah's thanksgiving is this seemingly thanksgiving for deliverance from death, not even deliverance from the fish, because Jonah thought that God wanted him dead, and God simply wanted Jonah useful. It's like circumstances we get ourselves in all the time, and we go, God, why am I in this? I have had conversations with uh, teenage girls where they end up pregnant, and they go, why did God do this to me? And I'm like, God's not having sex with you. <laughs> That's maybe what you tell your parents. I'm like, Mary, I'm like, it was God. It, it is circumstances we put ourselves in, and we blame God for these circumstances. And it's completely bizarre. It's, when, when it gets hard, what do we do with that? Do we turn to God? I, a couple of these girls have actually turned, and their lives have turned out really great. Other ones get very, very bitter and angry. Jonah says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I mean, this is very Job-like. Though these things are happening, I will trust you. What do you do when it gets hard? This prayer emphasizes faithfulness of who God is, as well as the sovereignty and his control over everything. Because in spite of Jonah's unfaithfulness, God is still faithful and hears his cry. Just like us, many times we sin against God, and yet he still blesses us. He still answers our prayers in spite of ourselves. God's mercy is totally evident where Jonah is at. Jonah did not get what he deserved. Jonah was granted life, another chance to do what God had originally ordained him to do. I mean, we sometimes get so used to God just blessing us and giving us and giving to us, we expect that every little prayer that we give Him, He must answer the way that we want. And we don't even look at the situation that our choices have actually put us in. And God is free in His sovereignty. He brought about this calamity to accomplish His will, just like sometimes in our lives. Calamities happen to bring forth God's will. Jonah, in the fish, has a presence of mind to to follow God despite the fact that God allowed this diversity, adversity to take place in his life. That is, this is the real sign that God is the pursuer of Jonah. That Jonah is running and God takes him, puts him here, keeps molding him to make him into what he wants him to be. Many people under this crucible of pain, they run, they flee from who God is, they get very bitter, they disdain who God is. Jonah turns in the direction of God. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Verse 8, and I love this verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And so Jonah recognizes that God is a deliverer of himself. There is no other idols or deities out there. It is God. So Jonah realizes three things in the belly of this fish. That one, he was beginning to trust in something other than God. And his life needed to be refocused to follow who God was. He had realized that he had made a nationalistic idol out of his country. Ooh, that sounds familiar. You know, he realized that he had begun expecting blessings from God just because that he was an Israelite. And he realizes that God bestows blessing because God is God. And God does what he wants to. And now all that changes in his life. Why? Because he is in the belly of a fish. God changes him. I mean, it is amazing to me that chapter 2 ends kind of like chapter 1. You know, 
In chapter 1, it ends like this. Jonah 1.16 says, At this time, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. So these, these non-Israelites turn to follow God. They see what God does, and they start making vows to this God. We are going to follow this God. They make these vows. Inside the fish, Jonah does the same thing. End of chapter 2, just like the end of chapter 1. They, he starts making vows, I am going to follow through on what you said. He gives thanksgiving for God not taking him out. Leviticus seven twelve through 14 uh, details how a Jew would normally do this. But obviously, Joan, Joan is inside a fish, and it's not like Pinocchio in the well where there's like a fire and he's like in a big cave, you know. It's, I mean, it's like... I mean, tongue. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, he's in the. I mean, it's it's surrounding him. It's not like he's like walking around going, "Well, how long I got to be in here?" It is ne- stomach acids eating him away. I mean, it's not like this great experience of I rode around in a fish for three days. It's nasty. It is awful. Fish comes up, blowhole. It's like, oh again, oh it's great, you know. Over and it's, this is not a great place to be, and so he can't obviously offer some of these things, but he makes vows. Jonah, a Jewish prophet, writes the book of the Bible, was no different than these sailors in the sight of our God. He wasn't better. God loved him just the same as he loved them. So Jonah comes in thanksgiving and humility, trusting that God is the only one that can grant him mercy and bring him life. And so I really do think that he offers God these vows. I will go back and I will do what you called me to do. I will fulfill my mission to the Ninevites. And so God grants him this privilege to do that to go to a lost people and explain about the grace and the love and the freedom and truth that God provides. I mean, God calls all of us to that exact same thing, to get our eyes off of us, to get rid of our vain idols and stop forfeiting the grace that could be ours. You know, Christianity is for all people, all languages, all ethnicities. Jonah had forgotten this, and yet here he remembers this. It is for all people. He says, salvation comes from the Lord. This is spiritual. It is physical. It is salvation comes from Jesus. For us, the questions that we have to ask are the questions Jonah had to ask and answer. Do we remember that salvation is for all people, even the ones that we don't like? In our times of distress, how do you and I, how do we approach God? How do we approach Him? Um, Dave Dravecki. You guys know who he is? He's a pitcher. Okay, a few years ago. Uh, anyway, he's, he's a pitcher in the, uh, in the National League. And... A great pitcher, by the way. And at one point, they find out he has cancer in his arm. So what they do is they go and they, and they take out the cancer in a large portion of this muscle that's in his arm. And then after a lot of physical therapy, he gets back and he's actually able to pitch again. And he writes this book called Comeback because he went through all this stuff. And he writes how God saw him through this and brought him back and he can, he can pitch again. So he's out and he's in his first game and he pitches. He wins two to one. It's like, yay, God's miracle. Woo, way to go. Next game, national TV, he's pitching again, and people said it was the eeriest thing because when he pitched, he heard his arm go, snap. And his arm snaps, and they go and they look in his arm, and the cancer's back. They wouldn't even have known if it actually hadn't have snapped. So his cancer's back, and all of a sudden, he has all these issues again. And he starts dealing through these things. They actually take off his arm. And, I mean, for a guy who makes millions of dollars on his arm, that's an issue. That's an issue. And so he writes this book called When You Can't Come Back. And it's all about how he's stuck behind the boulder, how he's in the, the, the belly of this whale. It's all about learning how to trust God and the pain and the circumstances that we just do not understand. He quotes a lot of C.S. Lewis, uh, The Problem of Pain, A Grief Observed, where uh, C.S. Lewis, his wife died. 
And so C.S. Lewis deals through a lot of this. And he answers the question of pain by simply saying, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is though he slay me, I will trust him. Just like Job. Jesus is, in the book of John, he's talking to some people. And he says some really, really hard words, and people start leaving. It kind of seems like the more people that followed Jesus, the more people he was, like, pushed away. You know, okay, I'm going to make it harder now. And he looks over at his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? In John 6:68, 6, it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that question is kind of for us. In that time of pain, where are we going to go? Jesus has the words of life. Where are we going to go? Not vain idols, not hobbies, not your job, families. Jesus is the one that offers hope. And so Jonah comes to this place in his life where, in a sense, he's reborn. And he's got a new perspective. He's got a chance to serve as God because of the whale. And so we look at that and we ask ourselves these questions. Are, are you going to Tarshish? Are, are you running from God? Is he, is he hounding you down? Does he need to take you through this? Are you in the belly of a whale? Are you behind a rock? Are you overwhelmed? Are you in Nineveh, just happy behind your walls and God's sending the truth to you? You're here this morning, you hear some truth, and you're like, wow, God's talking to me. Because sometimes you will find yourself in that belly of a whale and you'll kick and you scream, and all you can do is cry out to the Lord and he will hear you. Jonah cried to God. God heard him. Mike Turner cried to God. God heard him. C.S. Lewis cried to God. God heard him. Dave Dervecki cried to God. God heard him. And I, I, God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. And I don't know why some of the things happen in our lives that do, but I will tell you this. God is for you. He is for us. Uh, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. We've got to remember that salvation is, our, is for all people. And that in our times of distress, we must approach God. We must approach God. Jonah 2.10 says this, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Such graceful language, right? Like, blah, you know, there he is. God takes this fish, drops Jonah off, I think very close to where he started his journey. And Jonah has to make the original trek God intended for him in the first place. But I think it's great because Jonah starts at square one. He starts over again. He starts fresh. He has new hope. And Jonah has the choice that he can do it God's way or his way. Just like you have the choice. You can do it God's way or you can try and do it your way. And I ask that you guys choose God's way. Don't forfeit the grace that could be yours. Don't forfeit that. You go to the ones who has, the one who has the words of life. and your distress, you call out to him. And maybe you're in a place today and you're like, you know, I'm not really in a place of distress. I'm doing great. I'm really happy for you. But you know what? It seems to always happen. At some point, we go through it. Maybe you're going through it right now. And I will tell you, go to the one who has the words of life. That is what Jonah learned. We need to learn that also, that we go to this place. The band's going to come up. And we're going to do some songs. We're going to do what we normally do at this point. We come to God. And we kneel before Him and we say, What do you want from us? We're Jonah. We want to learn from you. And so we worship God through communion. You come up, you break a piece of the cracker off. You dip it in the uh, wine or the grape juice. And when you dip in the wine or the grape juice, that's remembering that Christ's body was broken for us and His blood was shed for us so that we can come back into this relationship with Him. 
So we're going to worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back of the room that would love to pray with you. Okay? And so if you need prayer, go see them. Uh, we're going to worship God through some songs. The band's going to lead some songs, and you know, we're going to sing like that. Uh, we worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back of the room. We worship God through fellowship. When we're done, we're going to hang out, and, and later today, we're going to play some ultimate frisbee. But more importantly, guys, once again, the way you worship God is best seen outside of these walls. And if you are going through something that is terrible, how you handle that is going to show people what God is like more than anything else. Because when you go through something and somebody sees you come through on the other side through the grace and the love of God, they're going to know they can turn to that same place that you turn to. And you can then offer them hope. I mean, Jesus is all about hope. God, in doing this to Jonah, it's all about hope. Because he wants to give Jonah hope, the sailors hope, the Ninevites hope. Us. Hope. That's why he writes the book. So, let's worship God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we stand here before you and and we know that there are times where things are great and God if that's people's times in this room this morning I thank you for that and I ask that those times would continue but God in the places that we come to that are just hard and difficult that you would see us through that we would remember in the belly of the beast and behind the rock that we sit in that our hope is found in you and that there is no other that has the words of life other than you. And so we hold to you and trust you and ask that you would bring us to that place where we can totally love and follow this God that we serve. Amen.